This morning we turn our hearts to, uh, to Christmas, to Advent, to thinking about this morning the King of Light as he is revealed to us in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 to 7, where we read this, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the oak of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, oppressor, you have broken. As on the day of Midian, for every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered to you this morning. We turn our hearts to you now. We lift our hearts and our mind to you now. We long for you to visit us, that your spirit would come near in power, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up, that we might experience the truth and power of the light and the life and the grace and the deliverance that he brings to his people and that we may indeed find great joy as we celebrate your gift. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 2, it tells us that people who walked in darkness, that they dwelt in a land of deep darkness. He's talking about the land of Israel. He's talking about the nation of Israel. The prophet is speaking of of the people of Israel saying that they are in darkness, that they're walking in a time of darkness. And what he is driving at is that Israel is facing some pretty dark times. The darkness obviously is not literal, visible darkness. It's metaphorical and it has to do with political and military uh, and moral and spiritual darkness that the nation is uh, encountering and living under. When Isaiah is writing this, Israel has suffered for years, I think some couple of decades, on one of Israel's worst kings, one of the most wicked kings, Ahaz. And the whole nation has drifted away. You can read in the pages, really in chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah, all the ways that the nation has drifted away from its God, from his word, from his law, how they have have drifted from his righteousness and his ways, right? They have a wicked king and the nation is adrift. Does it sound familiar? They've entered into some dark times. There's a series of ruthless empires that are going to overrun Israel. 
that this is the beginning of the end, so to speak, that Assyria literally is at the northern borders already beginning to, uh, to trample down and, and to invade into the country and to oppress its people. So Assyria is there, and following Assyria will come the Babylonians and their captivity, and the Persians following them. They will be under the foot of some other nation, some oppressor for foreseeable future, really for thousands of years. The Assyrians are at the door. And Isaiah predicts a day of judgment and suffering. Israel is going to walk through some deep darkness. They're going to go through some dark times. The Assyrians are brutal. And the northern kingdom will fall. And Judah will take its turn. You and I, we live in the most prosperous, most powerful nation in the history of the world. So just a literal truth, just a fact. Privileged beyond measure. The problems that we're talking about with Israel may in some ways seem far away. But if we stop and think about it, there is a deep moral and spiritual darkness, political and military darkness in the world. There always has been. There's always been wars and rumors of wars uh, throughout the history of the world. Right now, many are lamenting the number of uh, casualties, of losses in the Israeli and Palestinian war. They're dying in, in the tens of thousands they're numbering, and it's on the top of the news. It's what everybody's thinking about. But the numbers of those who are dying in the war between Ukraine and Russia dwarf them. In the, they're in the hundreds of thousands of casualties, of losses. These are dwarfed. By the numbers in World War I, if you remember, World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars. There shouldn't be any more wars. We shouldn't be having these wars, much less any other wars. They were going to end all wars because World War I was that war. 37 million people died. And so World War II, which follows that war, which was to end all war, saw casualties, civilian and militarily, somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 million. More than double of the war that was to end all wars. And when you get into numbers like that, they're staggering. They're hard to, to, to put your mind around. Wars and rumors of war, where it, we have these tensions with China, Taiwan, and the U.S. kind of standing in the face of China. The tensions there are rising. You have North Korea and Iran. They seem to be at war with the world. They're both developing nuclear, nuclear capabilities. I wonder what they'll do with them. The climate activists tell us we are on the brink of an apocalypse. There's ethnic hatred and murder and violence and injustice. The Mexican drug cartels appear to be running our southern border. There's a moral insanity that grips our nation and really most of the western nations of the world. There's a, this godlessness that has just obliterated all the boundaries and clarities of, of moral uprightness, truth. In a world, we have a world that is at war with its creator. And there is a shadow of meaninglessness and hopelessness that is cast over the land. There's a truth in which, in the, in the world, it was Israel in their times for sure. 
But this is, this is picked up in the New Testament and cast in the coming of Jesus to say that there is a world that walked in darkness. As people dwelt in a land of deep darkness. History is replete with these, the things that I'm talking about. It's not gotten any better. They thought with technology and education and science and these things, you know, that, that, that the human situation will get better. The problem is we all, our technology gets better, but human beings are just as bad as they ever have been. And they just have better technology to do it with. In the midst of all this, here are you and I gathered together to celebrate the birth of a baby, which is the birth of light and hope. The world has ever been thus. The world has always been like that. The world is like it now. We can face it. We have to be honest about it as we look around But Advent is that time that we set aside to remember and to capture, in a sense, that experience of waiting, of silence and darkness, waiting that it gets darkest before the dawn. And Advent is that time where we remember and we wait and we hope. The world is not as it should be and hasn't been since Adam. We stand helpless in many ways I know you and I, before the moral and the spiritual darkness, the stuff going on in our country, the stuff that is closest to us, much less the stuff that stands at a distance that we see in the headlines, we stand in many ways just helpless in the face of so much darkness, suffering that goes beyond description. We cannot skip the darkness, the sin and the rebellion the consequences, or we can't make sense of the light, right? So as we get to this time, we, we want to jump straight to the light, but we, that's why we sort of do Advent to remind us to sit in it for a little bit as we wait and hope and remember, right, that darkness doesn't have the last word and that this, this dark hour there or the dark hour now is It gets darker before the dawn. It is said that before he comes back, things will get worse. It always gets darker before even that second dawn when he comes, when the sun rises in all of its glory, which he says is what God is in his zeal is doing. Even as Isaiah is spending, you know, we picked up here in nine, but really the first 39 chapters, Isaiah is going to spend almost 39 chapters warning of the spiritual and moral decay and the consequences that come upon it in the dark times that are ahead of them before chapter 40 where the tone changes, not that there aren't these moments of light in the midst of it. Because God in His grace, even as He reveals the judgment that is coming and the darkness that persists, He reveals and gives us these glimpses of the coming, the dawning of light, of the light of the world. People who are dwelling in deep darkness, it says, have seen a great light, right? The hope of it, the the changing of it, when the lights go on, the darkness is driven out. And he says they've seen the dawning of this great light, that darkness in which the world sits. There is a light that will dispel it. There is a light that has the power to overcome it. They've seen a great light. The light has shone on them, it says. Now, what is the great light? 
that is risen, it sounds, it gives this image like the sun. They're in a land of deep darkness and the sun rises. And what is the, what is the rising sun? And the text, as it unfolds, it tells us, it reveals to us, it's not a what, like a sun, but it's a who. A son, S-O-N. Right? So in verse 6, for unto us, to us a child is born. Right? This is the light that dawns. This is the light that shines in the darkness. A child is born. Right? A son is given. There is one who is coming, who will be like a son to the world. What Isaiah is describing are the glories of a coming king. It's clear that he is a, he's a king that will be born. Uh, and he's going to be born. He's going to be what Isaiah is describing as a king of, that is above all kings. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. If you read the things that are said about him, because his child, we know he's going to be a king because the government will be on his shoulder. He will be the ruler. Right? In verse 7, the increase of his government there's, and of his peace, there's going to be no end. He's going to be a king of a massive kingdom, a growing kingdom, a kingdom that has no end to its increase. It will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. The child will be born. It goes on in verse 7 to tell us that he will reign on David's throne, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth, forever. His power and his rule and his authority have no boundaries. They have no end. The increase of his government, it will become more and more powerful it will encompass more and more territory, the whole earth, and it will encompass all time. It will not end. It will not stop. When it, when it takes over, it's permanent. And that's good from the way that it's described, given the darkness that we just described. It is the answer to all our darkness. His reign will be glorious. He will be the prince of peace. He will put an end, it says, right? He's the prince of peace. He is this king. He is a prince. But this prince is a prince not to make war. But he will. He will bring the war that ends all wars. And then there will be a peace. And the reign of his peace will be an eternal peace. He will put an end to war and to conflict and to ethnic hatred and to suffering and to dying and he will reign in verse 7 in justice and righteousness forever. It will be the end of oppression and poverty and slavery and human trafficking and fatherlessness and violence and killing and every Christian heart as we read these things and we think about the darkness and we face it with our eyes wide open and we read of this kingdom and every Christian heart says yes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. No more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. Verse 7 tells us the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to do it. The zeal of God is going to do it. This is the heart of God. This is his passion and his purpose for history. It's going somewhere. And he has a purpose and he has a plan and he has a direction and the day is coming when he will usher in this kingdom of light that's being described here. 
the peace and the righteousness and establish the eternal king forever. There is that sense which at Christmas that has happened. But we stand in that already and not yet. That the king is coming. The Lord of hosts is going to do it. He's the one giving his glorious son to establish the eternal kingdom of light and righteousness. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 to 17, speaking of Jesus and his ministry and his, what he's doing here and what he is doing in his ministry, it says, so that what was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes verses 1 and 2. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of shadow, of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time on, right, he says, this is being fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus and in his preaching. And what is Jesus preaching? From that time on, Jesus began to preach and his message was... Repent of your darkness, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom. This is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9. He, he, the, the author explicitly tells us this is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus is the light that dispels the darkness. He is the king who is coming, the child who is born. He is the light that has dawned. And the message is the kingdom has come. The kingdom of light that dispels the darkness. Acts chapter 2 verses 30 to 33. I think fulfills all the promises to David about kingship. There are many different ways of thinking about the Bible that are still waiting for, in a sense, the promises to David about kingship to be fulfilled. That he will have a son that will reign on his throne Forever, that there will always be a, a son of David on the throne. But here is its fulfillment, David being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne forever. He, David, foresaw and spoke about Christ in his resurrection. He is the one, the son of David from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, the, that on the throne of David and over his kingdom and to establish and uphold it, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God and sits on David's throne on, as the king of light. The kingdom has broken in. It has started. He reigns now. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This is Christmas. It's what we celebrate. And we need to remember that. So those are my three sort of applications of this is that we need to remember the message of Christmas, and we need to submit to the message of Christmas, and we need to proclaim the message of Christmas, right? We need to remember it, we need to submit to it, and we need to proclaim to it. We need to remember it. We need to remember what the world forgets, what it cannot see. Did you know that in 1640, Presbyterians in Scotland banned Christmas? You think, the, you think Grinch is bad, right? You think, you, you think, you know, these are Presbyterians. And they banned Christmas. Three years later, the English did the same. And when I say banned, I mean they made it illegal to celebrate Christmas. Presbyterians, Christians did. Why, why would Christians ban Christmas? 
Right? We're always trying to put Christ back into Christmas. They just outright banned the thing. Why'd they do it? And this is, I think it's a quote from their parliament um, in 1640 as to why they were taking these steps. They said this, pretending the memory of Christ, in fact, these celebrations of Christmas displayed an extreme forgetfulness of him. Pretending the memory of Christ, in fact, they displayed an extreme forgetfulness. The Scotch Presbyterians banned Christmas because Christians were forgetting the centrality of Christ in Christmas. And so as we think about these things, I think it always behooves us to be reminded, it seems obvious, but it is hard for me. This is a busy month. And there is so much going on in my life, it is hard to tell you. And it is work, in a sense. And it is commitment. You're here, but not everybody is. Right? To pull out and to sit down and to listen to the Scripture and to hear again the story, the same old story, the old, old story, right? And to have it settle into our hearts and minds, the gift that God has given. It's easy to get lost in the tinsel and the hurriedness and the commercialism and to make Christmas about us and miss the message to forget that in his zeal, the Lord has given to the world his son, who is the king of light, who is dispelling the darkness, and the darkness is dark. And yet there is one who has come, and the light has begun. How do I know? Because it's dawned in your heart. It is dawned in your life. The kingdom of righteousness and justice has, become to, has started to come in your life. As we love and serve righteousness and peace and truth, right? And it has become, there's a beachhead of that kingdom in this room. And the kingdom has come and the kingdom is coming. And one day it will come in its fullness and it will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. That light is in this room, in every one of us. He says he has lit us on fire, right? And when he has done that, do not put your, your light under a bushel. But we shine with the light of this king and of his kingdom. And so we remember that the only answer to the darkness, and we all struggle with it, we struggle with the darkness, don't forget, in our own hearts. We struggle with the darkness in our culture and in our country. (laughs) But if we lift our eyes and look around the world, it only gets worse. And the only answer to this darkness is Christmas. A son has been given. A child has been born. The king of light has come. And so we submit to the message of Christmas. We remember it. We need to remember it because we're the only ones who will. And we need to submit to the message of Christmas. And to submit to the, the message of Christmas is that the promised king, the son of God, the savior of the world has come. And so to submit to the message is to submit to the king. His kingship, his lordship. That he is who he says he is, the light of the world. 
The son that was given, who, who will have the government on his shoulders forever and ever with justice and righteousness. And so to submit to it is to, to submit to him. We sing, this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. King of kings, salvation brings. Let every heart enthrone him. Right? That's the application. Let every heart enthrone the Christ who has come. Not every heart wants a king. You and I find that as we walk out these doors and speak of these things. Not everyone wants a king, and not especially not a king of light. <laughs> because a king of light, light dispels darkness. Darkness doesn't like that. John 3, verses 19 and 20, we're told the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So everyone who does wicked things hates the light. This is why we experience more and more hatred of Christians, even in our culture. Because when light shines on the darkness and the dark things people are doing and celebrating, the darkness hates the light. And it does not come into the light, lest their works be exposed. Darkness resists the light because they are in rebellion against their king. So people in every age seek to tame him. It's where our culture, you know, and this is the whole taking Christ out of Christmas and our holiday celebrations, if we can't uh, you know, if we can't eliminate him, we want to at least keep him in the manger, right? Or we want to obscure him behind the lights and the sounds and the, and the flashing, you know, all the houses now, the lights are now like these road, you know, or the, you know, all the blow up things, you know, and if we can't, if we can't eliminate him, you know, we'll just obscure him behind all the glitz. Charlie Brown didn't like it. Right? If you haven't seen Charlie Brown's Christmas lately, watch it this Christmas. Charlie Brown was just in rebellion against the commercialism of Christmas because King Jesus has a rightful claim on, every, on the heart of every human being. And so he has a, a, a right to our love and our allegiance, right, to the whole world. Though they're in rebellion, they owe him their love and their obedience to submit to him as the Lord as the son who was given, the king of light. And, and the truth is, is we, when we read in John, or not John, Philippians 2, 10 to 11, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. On heaven and on earth and under the earth. I don't know, in heaven, the angels, on the earth, the people, under the earth, the demons, I don't know, you can lay it out however you want, but I'm pretty sure that encompasses everyone. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Everyone should be on their knees and confess with their tongues that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The Son who was given, the light of the world. One day, you can bow now in faith and claim Him as your King 
to put your faith and your trust in Him, give Him your trust and your worship and your obedience. We could do it now willingly and in faith, but the truth is that the day is coming when every knee will bow. And those that have not bowed willingly will bow in judgment. Have you ever bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus and confessed with your tongue that He is the Lord? That He is who He said He is and that He is your King. And that you would lay claim to Him, that you would give yourself to Him, that He is your Lord and your Savior. You will trust Him to be the one to lead you out of darkness into the light of God's presence now and forever. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says it this way, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Right? That's where he, we came from. Every person here is a refugee from the realm of darkness, from the reign of darkness, and you've been delivered into his kingdom. His kingdom, it's the kingdom of his dear son, The beloved son of verse 6, a child is born and the son is given. And you can be delivered from the domain of darkness into his kingdom. That kingdom that is now and forever. So we need to remember, like Presbyterians of old forgot, and we need to submit And we need to proclaim the message of Christmas. We need to go tell it on the mountains. Right? This is the message. This is the answer to the darkness that we experience in the world, that you experience in yourself, that you experience in your neighbors, that you see in our politics, that you see all on every continent of this planet. What's wrong with it as it sits in its darkness doing those things that only the light can expose? Forgive and free. Luke 10, 10, verses 8 and 9, Jesus is telling his disciples that whenever you enter a town, wherever you go, as you, you go, heal the sick, do works of mercy and grace, and say to them, the kingdom of God is near to you. The kingdom of God is come and it's coming. Right? The message of Christmas The kingdom of God is at hand. This text is fulfilled and the kingdom is come. Is the message of Christmas. And your job disciple then that Jesus is talking to, but I believe that is passed on to every disciple in every age, your job is to announce the coming of God's kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness, light in our darkness, our personal darkness. It's the already kingdom, but the not yet. It shines in each of our lives. It has come, and Jesus is building his church. He is building his kingdom. He is advancing his kingdom day by day, person by person. There are more Christians alive in the world right now than there were in the rest of history put together. The the numbers have just, they're so large. John 1.5 said the light shines on inside the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And my friends, that is the message of Christmas too, that the King has come. The darkness has not overcome it. It won't. There are times when you sit, whether in your own personal darkness, and you think that it will overcome. <laughs> or you sit in the world, you look at our country, and you think it's a lost cause. 
Maybe it is in one sense. I don't know. But what I do know is darkness does not have the last word. Whatever happens this year and this decade or this century, and the centuries have rolled on, and who knows, you know, if he comes back tomorrow or the centuries roll on, this truth stands and should stand in your heart as you remember the meaning of Christmas. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. And if it shines in you, that's why he says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The darkness persists, and the world sits in its darkness, awaiting as we await the consummation, the return of Christ in his power. But the church is not idle while we wait. We are called, just like the disciples, to proclaim the word that the king has come. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we read that we are ambassadors for Christ. The king, the kings everywhere, presidents, leaders everywhere have ambassadors, those who speak for them, those who who make their appeal, those who stand in the king's place and tell the message of the king. And we are told that we are the ambassadors for Christ, for this king of light, that we are the children of light, that we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal through us. So even as we remember Christmas for ourselves, even as we submit to the king in light, we are to call our mission, our ministry, is to call the world out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It is to tell on the mountain that the king has come. Matthew 28, so familiar. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am the king of all kings. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the king that is over all other kings. I am the Lord of all lords. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. I'm the king. Go tell the world. Proclaim freedom to the captives. Because in his zeal, the Lord has given to the world the Son who is dispelling the darkness. And ushering in a kingdom, an eternal kingdom of light and justice and righteousness. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of Christmas, the the king of Christmas, the son who was given. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. You did not leave us in our darkness but that you would shine forth the light of the knowledge of God and the glory of, in, the, in the face of Christ and that you have made it to shine in each one of our hearts. I thank you for exposing our darkness and leading us to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And Father, even as we submit to Christ, even as we love him and serve him with all of our hearts, I pray that you would awaken us as ambassadors that we would go and tell the world that the king has come. There is light. There is hope. There is peace. And his name is Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.